Welcome back to another episode of One of These Years, our Detroit Lions podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Nick Baumgartner. Got uh, an exciting show here, not just because the Lions uh, decided mm. to go for the heart stopper at the end. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd say it was something we almost never see, except it just happened to Penn State right. and Indiana <laughs> 24 yeah, exactly. hours before. But uh, <laughs> So we're going to get into that. Uh, of course, and then uh, the second half of the show, our first ever guest here on one of these years is uh, Cynthia Freeland, the NFL Network's analytics expert. Uh, we'll get into her process a little bit, and she's also an Okemos native, so an oh, there you go. Lions fan. She, if you see her on the NFL Network, now that uh, you know everyone's at home, she's always got the Lions gear behind her, so um, we get into her thoughts on the, the team right now and, and moving forward, so as a uh, fun talking to her and you, you can catch that at the back half of the show but wanted to get into this the lions are three and three somehow i don't know <laughs> how you explain the ending there so all yours <laughs> uh, somehow is correct i uh i don't know i mean it's one of these things right like we were talking yesterday i just i mean atlanta's not a very good team obviously but you know they'd gotten the shot in the arm from you know whatever it gives you from firing your coach or whatever in the middle of the year but like I, I don't know how to really chalk it up other than they refuse to, like, die. They're just not quitting. Stafford is refusing to let this be, like, a wasted year, I feel like. And everyone seems to be sort of riding along with him. And I think you could probably flip that to the defensive side, too, and say maybe that, like, guys like Flowers and Harmon, uh, you know, and some of these guys are also maybe refusing to just say, hey, we are not just going to call this. A, a day. I mean, this is, you know, it's not even Halloween yet. They went through all the stuff they had to go through in the offseason to even get to this point. Uh, it's not surprising, you know, given the personalities on the team. And, you know, it's it's one of these things where I you look back and you say, you know, with the locker room have been able to hold the rope together that long through a game like that last year with the makeup. Uh, maybe not. Maybe. But maybe not. Um, but this one, for whatever reason, just seems to have the right mix of guys who are just not going to let other guys say, you know what, let's just call it and wait for them to fire everybody and start over. I mean, it's just not something that they're interested in doing, which is a very unique situation. Uh, but also, you know, I guess, I mean, that that has to be the main reason why we point to that they won the game, because they just didn't give up. Yeah, and I, I just don't know... I guess a I don't know how much credit to give them for this because yeah, they should I don't either, they should have lost to a one in right. five Atlanta team that just fired right. its coach. I mean that they should have lost or at least at least been in a spot where they would have had to pray that Atlanta yes. somehow missed a twenty five yard fugle at the buzzer. Yes. Like they should have lost that game. Uh, so I don't know how much credit to give them um, for the win, but then I also don't know that it matters. I don't know that it, right. I don't know yeah. that it matters at all because the last drive was. Just, I mean, really spectacular. The last try to do what they did with no timeouts, with the weird review where you're sitting there like, what is even going to happen? Are they going to run off? Right. Are they, are we gonna, is it going to be a 10-second 10 10 runoff? Yeah. Are they going to call that penalty on carry-on for getting trucked by our linemen trying to get off back on side? Like, what is even happening? Uh, so that last drive was just sensational, like the absolute best of what Matthew Stafford can do uh, and what this team around him can do. And they're three and three at the end of the day, which is all that matters. You're coming home. You've got several win. I mean, at least four more pretty winnable games in front of you here. And so maybe the key is just that they keep it together. Like if you just yeah. keep it together, like you said, especially this year, if you just hold it together better than everyone, 
that might be enough in this season. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's like, you know, it's the NFL too. I mean, even if, even in a normal year, we, we don't really get into the, well, they didn't look good against that shitty team. So like, maybe, maybe that's a problem moving forward. It's like, no, I mean, it's a win. Like we don't, we don't do the, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're an NFL observer who gets into the, well, that was a non-impressive win against a team that they should have beaten. They're like, I don't know what else to tell you. You're watching the wrong sport. This isn't college. Like, this isn't something where, like, oh, the Lions played Central Michigan yesterday and only won by a point. That's not what this is. So, I mean, <laughs> that has to be taken into account as well. But also, like you said, Chris, I mean, like, that. they just, there were so many things when you go back and look at it that weren't all, like, fortunate happenstance that Todd Gurley you know, barrels into the end zone when he shouldn't have. That obviously is the ultimate end of the day, like, reason why. But when you go back and say, like, if Trey Flowers doesn't get into a drop and, like, chuck Julio Jones and get his hand on that fourth and five, the game is over. If Aquara doesn't beat another guy one-on-one, they probably lose, right? Like, if Prater doesn't kick a 48-yard extra point, they might have lost. I mean, there's so many things that we go back to in that game. And if you go back and look, there's effort plays all over the place that are the reason why they won the game. And I don't want to say that, you know, last year's team didn't have those because they did. Um, but it was a it was a mixture, I felt like, of effort plays and Detroit's, you know, Matt Patricia and Corey Unlin are starting to give them more of a chance to sort of like hang in there defensively. They're not dominating anyone or any stretch of the imagination, but like run defense in the first couple of weeks was just like, didn't exist. And now at the very least, they're making teams earn, you know, the yards they get, which is really all you can ask for. I mean, they're not a loaded group at all. I think we've established this. And, and that was part of the reason why, why are you playing this way when you're not really capable of doing it? But they're, they're, they're putting the right guys on the field now, it seems like, and they're calling, and they're making enough, you know, there's enough balance within their call sheet that it's just forcing teams to sort of earn, What's there? I mean, Atlanta's not a dynamic rush team, but Jacksonville had been doing okay before this. I mean, and I think Atlanta actually has more yards than New Orleans on the season. So, you know, they've made some changes. They've made some tweaks uh, and they've had better effort. And I think that that's really all we can really point to and say that's why they're three and three. Yeah, the defense is particularly interesting to me. I mean, I think the offense, you know, other than the last drive, which Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, a lot of that game was just the Lions let their or asked their stars on offense to go make star level plays. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that game was Stafford, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, finally, uh, Hawkinson a little bit. You know, Amendola had a big catch on the last drive. Um, occasionally, DeAndre Swift. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just letting your guys, your best players, go make some plays, which is fine. I mean, I think they could have done a lot more on offense. I think we can get into that a little bit too. But defensively, it has been interesting to see them develop over the last couple of weeks. I think it, you know, you look at back at that game and the two touchdown drives Atlanta had in the second quarter. You know, the first quarter of the Lions really shut them down in the run. They got them into some of those second, third, and longs and got off the field. The second quarter, Atlanta went into, you know, the Lions were still trying to stop the run. Atlanta went to play action and just picked him apart for two consecutive drives. It was, you know, 13 plays and 14 plays, like 180 mm. total yards of offense, yeah. six minutes each. And you go into halftime thinking, well, this is – they're about to hang 40. And then yeah. the defense kind of pulled it back together again. And I think that's a good sign, too, that there was some level of adjustment at halftime so that they didn't just get rolled over for the next 30 minutes. So I, I think that there are 
some signs there. And, and like you said, I mean, Flowers has been just incredible for the mm-hmm. last couple of games. Okora has been their best pass rusher. Certainly, Penasini has been good inside. Jared Davis looks like a mm. usable football player again, <laughs> which is helpful. Yeah. And I think a big thing that we haven't talked about a ton, uh, I know you talked wrote about the cornerbacks in uh, yeah. our observations, but it makes a big difference on any defense, but especially on this defense, if you have two cornerbacks on the outside who are willing to come up and just stick their hat on someone. And Jeff Okuda and Amani Oruwariye will do that even if they're not covering well. Uh, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And that has been, I mean, Okuda has been rough in a lot of areas uh, this season, obviously, but I don't know if he's had what I would call a bad tackling game yet. He's been probably uh, toward the end of outstanding in most of his, uh, most of his, you know, run support efforts and making sure guys get tackled in space. I think Awari may have missed a couple in this game, but I mean, like you said it, willing, like you're willing to go up and make plays and sort of defend on the perimeter, and that's kind of what it's going to have to take here. I mean, it's going to have to be an all-11 situation because they just don't have, you know, as we've discussed so many times, a lot of guys who can really just take away certain things by themselves. They just don't, you know, the the closest thing would maybe be somebody like Flowers and Collins, but those guys are really more also kind of like system, you know, players who can do a bunch of different stuff within, you know, within one scheme. They're not necessarily going to just dominate you. They're going to make it really hard on you. Uh, You know, you're going to have to be perfect against them, but it's it's got to be an all 11 thing where you know everybody has to kind of show up and do what they're supposed to do and i think that we can't get through this without saying you know obviously yes the lions have adjusted some of their fronts to where they're playing less of that you know two gap in the center they're they're allowing themselves to you know maybe sometimes get more more beef up there which has helped but also i think you know give it to you know danny shelton penasini this was probably deshaun hand's best game you know yep. from a run yeah, from definitely. a run defense perspective I mean, some of the stuff when you turn it on and look back at it, it's just it's Penasini coming up and just, you know, slamming a guy in a gap and you know locking out and just engaging and just saying I'm not moving. Like you're gonna, I'm not, I'm just gonna win this gap right here, and that's it. And it's the same thing we've seen Hand do that more in this game than we have probably all year. You know, including one on the goal line that was super impressive, and that helps obviously with you know that helps Collins, that helps uh, Reggie Ragland, that helps Tavai, and these guys kind of flow down and make plays. And that's the stuff that, you know, scheme and alignment aside in those first couple of weeks, we didn't see enough of that. We saw a lot of guys getting kind of body slammed and thrown out of there and just not a lot of winning, you know, winning football at the point of attack. And they're not they're not loaded up front, but you know, they're they they should have enough to sort of at least do what they did on Sunday to make it to where you know, you're not just seeding seven yards on first down. You're going to make them earn it. Maybe you give up three, but at least, hey, I mean, that's not that's not terrible, and it could have been worse. And, you know, I think that that, you know, the effort they've gotten up front has been, I don't know what turns the corner on it. I don't know if it's just playing, maybe that's partially playing teams that aren't as aren't as good, but at the same time, we just discussed those rush numbers. So I, I don't know, but I think I don't think we can get past it without saying that the front four, front three, whatever you want to call it, has... Uh, really sort of answered the bell the last couple of weeks because if they hadn't, this would be a very different conversation. We'd, if they hadn't, we'd probably be talking about who the next coach is right now, I would imagine, because, yeah. you know, that that was kind of, you know, after that New Orleans game, I mean, Jesus, I mean, you had to do something <laughs> and and they've survived. So, you know, now you just keep moving on and survive to the next day. Yeah, and this is a point we've talked about uh, on here and also written about, but I think it probably can't be overlooked again 
uh, that the defense was its most competitive with Reggie Ragland on the field and yeah. with J. Ron Curse on the field. And yeah. even just getting Curse back, I think, was a huge – it didn't show up in that Saints game necessarily, but it's been big the last couple weeks to have him in there uh, instead of Will Harris usually or instead of a you know a linebacker. I, mm-hmm. And I think that that's made them a lot more competitive. I mean, some of the stuff is still showing up, but the play action still hurting them. The pass rush, you know – Okora had three hurries over like a eight minute stretch in the third quarter, and that was half the pressures the Lions got right. for the game. Yeah. So it's still not there consistently enough. The linebackers, I mean, I'm a little surprised. Atlanta did it a lot, and I think they probably could have done it more that they didn't just attack that those gaps between the second and third level when they got zone looks because the mm-hmm. linebackers, for whatever reason, just never get deep enough right. in yeah. Detroit's defense, and it just yeah. keeps showing up. But yeah, I mean, they're hanging in there. You, I don't. That's not a. That's a. That's a Atlanta team that doesn't know how to finish games. But it's not like yeah. the worst one in six team that you're ever going to see or one in whatever no, the record is. I mean, they yeah. have a like a minus twenty three point differential in their five yeah. games under five hundred. So they're competitive and certainly on offense uh, have been pretty good. I I do think you know as I mentioned we've we've got Cynthia on uh, the second half of the show, so we're kind of breezing through things a little quicker than maybe we would, but I do want to spend a minute on, on Jared Davis. Cause I mentioned mm-hmm. him and we're seeing more of him and yeah, this is as effective as he's been. I mean, maybe there was the little glimpses of it when Damon Harrison was playing well of Davis just flying in there and plugging mm-hmm. gaps, but this is the most all around game he's shown. Uh, it's still yeah. not there, but it's, this is the most all around he's been as a playmaker in this defense yeah I mean he got two pressures right away in this game and you know I think both of them may have resulted in incomplete passes I mean and it was just nothing more than him you know picking a gap between center guard and slamming over a running back I mean like that was and, and all, honestly like that's something he can do like you know you've said this a thousand times on, on this show and otherwise like Patricia says all the time if you can do one thing really really well yeah you know, we can probably find something for you to do. And, like, that is something Davis can do better than a lot of guys. I mean, he can line up, get downhill, and go as fast as he can and slam into somebody. And if you let him do that, it's going to be a positive for the defense because I don't know many running backs who are going to be able to stand in there and take take him on. I mean, we've talked about the the muscle growth in the offseason. Uh, we know he, he has good straight-line speed, I mean, in those short spaces like that. So... The only thing that was holding him back in those rush situations, and it's why it's probably hard to move him out onto the edge, is he just is not very long, and you know maybe that he'd be limited in that sense. But I mean, if you want to rush him up the middle, you know, in in certain situations, then I think that that's totally fine, and that's something that you can do to sort of supplement what you already have. The one thing I would say though is, you know, they did they had him out there for some other stuff a little bit more in this one than they had in, than they had last week, and. You know, he still missed a tackle uh, at one point. I well, mean, you know, and know. you just can't, you know, it's like it's hard because I think you want to let him get confidence in and sort of embrace the role that he has. And, you know, maybe that would, that would you know, at some point down the road allow you to expand that a little bit. But I think they've got to be awfully careful with not getting caught in situations with that, right? Because you don't want to get caught in a spot where, you know, you've got him out there. Maybe you bluff a blitz and you let him drop because if you let him drop, then the quarterback sees it. And if it's a good player, they're going to go at him. So I still think you got to be careful with it. Uh, but I think it's encouraging to see both Patricia. I mean, I don't know about Corey Unlin because he just got here, but Patricia seemed to have this kind of hang up on Davis because I think he likes him so much 
from a character standpoint and an attitude standpoint that Hell or High Water, Matt Patricia, it felt like at times Hell or High Water, Matt Patricia was like, I'm going to make Jared Davis into a, you know, a, a, a plus linebacker here before, if I do nothing else. And it seems like he got to a point where he said, okay, I've got I've got other things that are more important than that on my plate right now, but we're going to make sure we find something for him to do. And I think that was the right decision. And they've just sort of made better decisions defensively, it seems like, both with personnel, with some of the calls, and it's translated. And I think that, that sometimes it's simple stuff. And, you know, he talked about that two weeks ago, and it's sort of showing up on the field. Yeah, and I think some of that goes back to them just still not entirely knowing what to do with that linebacker core in general. I mean, Jamie Collins played 70 snaps, and frankly, this was the first game that they won that he didn't, I mean, at least on the surface, didn't play a dominant game. I mean, he showed up a couple times, but he he wasn't like all over the place like he's been in their previous two wins. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, Tavai played the second most snaps at 43, and then you had Jones and uh, Raglan and Davis and Jalen Reeves maybe randomly at the end of the game yeah. uh, cycling through there. But, yeah, I mean, I still think that they're trying to figure it out. And, you know, I don't I don't think the gap between what they got from Jelani Tavai on Sunday and what they got from Jared Davis yeah, is fair. big. And I say that both as a positive about the steps Davis has made and a, the negative in that they haven't gotten more from Jelani Tavai. So I think that they are still trying to piece it together a little bit at linebacker so you end up with guys out there in spots where you're almost just saying well just just can, can you maybe do this once and we'll just <laughs> yeah, see right. what happens like just go play zone coverage and we'll try not to give up 30 yards on this play and if it works then maybe you go back to it because I do think that there's you know they're limited there they as we've mm-hmm. said they're limited at linebacker they just are they don't have a great linebacking core right. so you try to figure it out as best you can yeah, and I think that they've done a nice job with with that, with mixing up coverages. I think this was, I think I saw somewhere that this was 50-50 man zone, um, you know, for a game here, which I don't know if that's the that's what you want or whatever, but I do know that in the first half anyway, the first couple drives, I mean, they had Matt Ryan all crossed up with, you know, there were times where it looked like he was expecting man and he got zone. There were times where he looked like he was expecting zone and he got man. They even did some stuff with the... Um, with the too high man coverage where they, you know, they drop the deep safety and have the other one come up as the robber. I mean, they did a lot of different stuff uh, that helped and, you know, weren't predictable. And I, you know, the, the, uh, the announce crew was getting on them at the end of the game about why don't you just go back to man coverage? Why don't you go to just go back to man coverage? And I guess, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's fair uh, at the end, but I mean, I understood, I guess I understood it, you know, like if you're going to make mistakes and, you know, like you said, Chris, like linebackers sometimes don't, don't you know drop far enough when they need to or you know some guys maybe get a little out of out of alignment but there weren't any like zone busts that were so bad in this game that were like oh my god a guy got 40 yards for free (laughs) I mean it was like okay yeah you maybe you lost Julio Jones and he got seven and that hurts if if it happens 12 times or whatever but like I could understand it it wasn't so bad to where it was like guys were just totally lost in space and just didn't know what they were doing if a guy didn't make a play it was because they just got I mean there was one ball that Ryan got in there to Julio Jones I think that it must have grazed Raglan's fingertip and got right in between whoever the safety was over the top and it was a great throw and catch and some of those were and you know you you live to play another day on that but they weren't getting like so horribly gashed to a point where you're so concerned about I mean the last drive was problematic and I think that overall when you look at the offensive side too they had some issues with this like the run defense started to fade. 
the offensive line started to fade. Some of the stuff starts fading when guys are hurt and getting a little tired, but I, I didn't hate it. I thought that the, the mixing the mixing of the coverages was fine. I thought that's what you want to do. They didn't overwhelm anybody, but they did just enough to keep people just enough off pace to where they weren't giving up just bombs. Because that's the other thing. If you're you could have allowed Julio Jones to just go bonkers in this game. I mean, it wouldn't have been shocking to anybody. I mean, most people thought that was going to happen, I think, in this one, and it didn't. So that's also part of the reason why you win the game. Yeah, the time of possession ended up pretty even. Atlanta was at 30 minutes, 45 seconds, and Detroit was at 20 minutes, 9, or 15 seconds. But I think, uh, is it Brock Heward, I think, had the... Yeah. Uh, I think at one point said, like, it just felt like Atlanta was out there a lot more. It did. Because they had yeah. those, those long drives. And so, I, you know, some of that is... Like even in giving up those touchdowns, though, I think that that's that's part of the plan. You mm-hmm. make them go fourteen plays, and you hope somewhere in there someone steps up and make a play. And on those two possessions where they had the long touchdown marches, no one made a play. And on the last drive, you know they they couldn't get off the field, or they couldn't force a few goal. You know yeah. they had the shot on the one. Uh, it was the third and one. Shelton broke through mm-hmm. and had a shot at at Gurley, and Gurley made a nice move and got the first down and and then fumbled and recovered it. So you right. know, you're kind of like a sliver away from getting exactly what you want on some of those drives. But I think that that's part of the plan, like you said, just to kind of to kind of go back and, and not let them beat you over the top. We've seen that a lot from Matt Patricia's defense. I mean, the last thing I'll say on Davis is that I think you're seeing the impact of, of his ability as well as Raglan and Collins, not just in when they turn them loose and go after the quarterback, but in that – you know, the offensive line and the blocking backs and the tight ends, they're starting to notice those guys and try yeah. to pay attention to them. And then every once in a while, you know, like Daryl Roberts snuck in and got a pressure yep. uh, at one point. And so you can kind of set some other things up just by having Davis on the field. You know, they, they love to show those like a gap pressures um, just by having Davis doing that. I think you can set some stuff up. So Maybe they found something, and you know, it's everyone kind of goes back to, well, he's a, you know, he's a first round pick, and now you're using him as a situational guy. Right. Well, yeah, but, but you're doing what you can with yeah. him, and it's working in in short bursts here. So. I think that's the greatest takeaway from all of this is that the last two weeks we've seen a defense that is playing to what it has on its team, rather than a defense that is trying to be something that ideally maybe they would be if they played perfect but they're probably never going to get to. And I, wonder, I think that that would, yeah. that would be it for me. I wonder if that's the Unlin effect. It could be. It could be because that's not Patricia, right? That's like, that's kind of the opposite. Like we talked about this at right before the Jaguars game. Like he's going to have to break tendency or trend or whatever. Patricia being the he here is going to have to break away from this. Well, I, and in an idealistic world, this is exactly how we would play this game against this team. And it's got to be more about, okay, well, these are the 11 guys that we have and we can't do some of that stuff, so let's figure out what we can do and kind of play within ourselves. And, you know, for all the flaws that they had last season, some of which were injury-related, that was the constant all year, is they just continued to sort of play this weird, like, why don't you just try to make life easy on yourself and maybe you get lucky once in a while and something will bounce your way. And, you know, that's kind of what we've seen the last two weeks. I mean, I, I think that that's fair to read into. I don't know what it'll mean, going forward or you know maybe it'll help with confidence or whatever else but they just seem to be giving themselves a better chance to survive and just kind of hang in there and you see what happens at the end maybe you win one maybe you lose one but at least you gave yourself a chance and I think that that's kind of the takeaway here so the offensive side of things and you know this is kind of goes back to what we were talking about right at the start like I don't know how much credit to give 
this team. I don't know how much credit to give this offense. They obviously had the great last drive. Matthew Stafford throws for three, what was it, 340? Yeah. You know, they don't turn the ball over. Galladay at 114. They had four guys with at least 50 yards receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they needed to score with no time left to get to 23 points. So there's somewhere yeah. along the way, there's a disconnect between what they were doing and the scoreboard. And, you know, that's it was a confusing game for me watching that offense because I felt like they could have done almost whatever they wanted through the passing attack, except for the few times, you know, Atlanta did rush the passer really well and they dialed up some blitzes that got Detroit in trouble. But when Stafford was able to set and throw, I don't, I mean, there wasn't anyone on that Atlanta defense that was covering folks. So it's a weird game there. It was, it was, Good to see from Stafford because, like you said it, I mean, they were, and he said it too after the game, uh, you know, they've got some guys up front that can do some stuff, and they were sending some pressures that the Lions hadn't seen yet from Atlanta on film uh, that that had them crossed up. But you have to you have to like Stafford's sort of willingness to put all of that aside and really kind of tune in on his getting his feet right, moving around in the pocket, finding those spots, and then, you know, being Matthew Stafford, which to me means – being committed to if you're going to give me a window in the middle of the field, no matter how tight it is, I'm going to make you pay for it. Like they attacked the middle of the field and it worked better in this game than I think we've seen in previous games. And that is last year. I mean, when we talk about all the chunks and everything else, so much of it was right up the middle. So much of it was Stafford being confident in his arm, being able to find his way around the pocket a little bit off of play action or whatever else it was. And taking chances. And, you know, he trusts his arm more often than not. And you can talk to every guy who's ever coached Matthew Stafford for the for his entire life. And they will all tell you, if he thinks he can put a ball somewhere, we're going to let him do it. Because his arm is, you know, it's one of the best in the game. So that, that was, I think, for the Lions, if you want to take away anything from the offense, it was Stafford looking more like Matthew Stafford. That, that looked like the guy, at, you know, at times that we saw last year. There were some problems that they had. You know, with some miscommunications, I think at times the offensive line seemed to wear down and pass pro a little bit, but he never wore down. And, you know, the stuff with Galladay was great, but more importantly to me, I mean, Marvin Jones got back. I know you wrote about him this morning. Marvin Jones got involved again, and some of that was the willingness to just, if you're going to give us something in the middle of the field, I'm going to take it. And, yep. and you know, hell or high water, we're going to get it there. Yeah, and uh, this is what I talked. I mentioned we had Cynthia Freeland on uh, kind of doing this backwards because I recorded with her before we recorded this. But mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about was, you know, this offense, like at some point you've just got to say, okay, you have Jones and Galladay. Just throw to Jones and Galladay and stop <laughs> right. trying to be so cute about things, whether whatever the coverage is. And then you end up with, you know, Sunday they had 11 catches between the two of them on 13 targets for 194 yards. And yeah. How many of those were open routes? Like yeah. one or two to Marvin over the middle, but most yeah. of like Galladay was out there making Madden catches the entire right. game, and you know Jones had a couple where he had Tough to make ones, yeah. the catch and like brace himself for impacts because they were over the middle. So, uh, like, and I think that that's been one big thing that's missing is, and and I think I've said this, you know, like at some point you just you have receivers who are better than the cornerbacks covering them so even if there's two defensive backs on them like right. you know maybe you're still better off going and throwing the ball up to Kenny Galladay than trying to squeeze one into to Danny Amendola or whatever the the fallback is and I think that that was a big part of it too I, I don't know if that is to me that's that's Stafford getting back to 
I think so. Feeling comfortable too. Like those are plays that we usually see the the throw to Galladay to set up the game winning touchdown. I mean, that's classic yeah, that's Matthew Stafford. Like, let's just take a shot. I've got a playmaker out there, and uh, let's go. You know, someone's eventually gonna have to make a play. It's crazy to me too. Like, <laughs> this is a little off topic, but like how defenses and secondary and like defensive backs still. Feel I feel like they still underestimate how hard he can throw a ball. <laughs> because, like, yeah. how are those windows? Like, the Galladay throw, it's like, how are you even letting him? Like, you have to know that he can slam that thing in there. But that's Stafford. I mean, like, that's the stuff that we weren't seeing in the first couple weeks when he talked about, you know, everybody's trying to take away everything over the top. Well, you know what? Like, at some point, and he knows this, at some point you have to make him stop it. You have to just... You have to fit one in there, and he can do that. And you know, we saw a little bit more of that. He just seems more confident and comfortable. And I don't know what you attribute it to or what you don't attribute it to, but sometimes that's part of the flow of an NFL season and a guy coming back off an injury and COVID and everything else. And I don't know. I mean, he just looks more like the guy that we're used to seeing when things are going well. And I would venture a guess that as long as that continues, you know, the guys on offense and probably the guys on defense are gonna you know, have their effort where it needs to be too. And that's all you can ask for. And you know, I don't know what these next couple games are going to bring, but it's an interesting stretch here now because, you know, I mean, it's not an impossibility <laughs> that they get to like Thanksgiving and have a pretty decent record here. I mean, it's not impossible, but the, I think the fact that we're talking about it makes it, you know, that kind of illustrates how far it's come in three weeks. I mean, it, it feels like it's not irrelevant here. Yeah, I mean, uh, even with the extra wild card spot in the NFC, it's looking like you have to go like fourteen and two to get in the playoffs. <laughs> but you know, it, it, they're hanging around. Yeah, and Stafford for sure. I think like that last drive was just so classic Stafford. But I think you saw early on, and that, again, that's why I'm surprised they didn't score more than they did. I think some mm-hmm. of it was the game plan, which I do want to you know get yeah, into yeah. quickly here. But you know, I think the first possession they came out, they ran twice, they threw short of the sticks, and they punted. The yeah. second possession. The very first play, they ran play action for Hawkinson over the middle, and Stafford threw like a 115-mile-an-hour fastball <laughs> to him. And you're like, all right, well, I guess he's feeling all right today. You yeah, can right. usually tell pretty oh, yeah, early on point. whether or not Stafford's <laughs> going to have a decent day or not just by how he lets it rip on the first couple throws. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was like the jugs machine throw right yeah. on the numbers. Uh, so I think if you can keep that going – and sort of mingle in some of these other things that they can do on offense. It really could be uh, pretty special on that side of the ball. But um, I don't know that we can get out of here without talking about the DeAndre Swift, Adrian Peterson, on Johnson dynamic and just what they're doing on a lot of those short yardage situations, which is like, you know, just trying to ram it in there (laughs) and out-muscle people and – uh, sometimes it was actually Sunday was the worst it worked because for whatever reason, when they did it, you know, the fourth and one, they left Dante Fowler on unblo- unblocked the third and one where they got the, uh, too many men on the field call. They, something happened with Jonah Jackson and either lost his balance or went to the wrong guy. Like they, there was a huge gap there. Guys came flying through and so they didn't block it well, but I don't know how much you need to go under center single back or eye formation with Adrian Peterson in third yeah. and one when you have the offense that you have? I, I Unless you're so confident in your matchups there, like if you're like just so convinced that your offensive line is better than what they can put up in the box, I, it, even then, I, that you just can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that in 2020. I mean, it just doesn't work. I mean, you can't. 
when the, the announcers even caught on to it. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while, but the announcers even said it. When Peterson is in the game, and it's not first down, and maybe in some second down instances, but if he's in the game and it's not first down, we know everyone knows what's happening, right? Like it's you're taking away any mystery or any other things that a defense has to worry about, other than just selling out for split zone power, whatever they're going to run. You know, and just going after. I mean, that's every single time. We saw it happen multiple times in that game. Every time Swift's not in the game, Atlanta's just reading run immediately. And it's everybody you play now from here on out is going to be the same way. Like Peterson, I think, and I mean, I stand by what we talked about in the summer. I think he can help them. I know he can help them in certain situations. If you're if you're in second and short, if you're on first and ten, second and short, he's, he's a really nice addition and a nice piece to what you can what you can do, but he can't be your default guy at any point here because A, Swift is becoming too good to sit down for longer stretches of time, and B, he just allows you to be more diverse. I mean, there's just more stuff, and it it it's all ties back to the, and I think you and Cynthia are going to talk about it here in the second half here, but like, you're not taking advantage, full advantage of some of the speed weapons that are there, you know, Agnew, Swift, Marvin Hall, you know, Amendola's out there dropping a pass on third down. You know, like some of this stuff, like you've, they've got more there. They're just not using it. And, you know, for all the good things Daryl Bevel's done in the year and a half that he's been here, it's it's hard to, uh, it's hard to defend some of the vanilla stuff because it's getting too predictable and uh, it, it's got to stop being so predictable. You can't just rely on as good as he can be. Stafford just right arming you through everything like that. You've got to, got to help them out because it's going to get too tough to overcome against a team that's better well and as we talked about during the game i don't even think the criticism is that they ran in those spots yeah it's i not. mean vitai was just clobbering people yeah. <laughs> at guard when they wanted to run and rag now we keep talking about is, is playing an extremely high level so if you want to run in that spot if you want to go between those guys maybe even bringing kabinda and yeah. when you want to run there great but you don't have to do it you don't have to do it with Peterson. You don't have to do it on every every time. third and short, every fourth and short. You don't also don't have to do it. I mean, it happened two or three times in the game, too, where Peterson would rip off like seven or eight on first down. They'd immediately hand it to Peterson again, and he'd get nothing. Like, they mm-hmm. just kept, they kept doing that, too, where you're just sort of telegraphing everything that's coming. And, yeah, I mean, and you also don't need to go to – like it doesn't have to be an eight-man heavy line when Peterson's in right. there to run the football. You can still right. spread the field. Like get take some of those guys out of the box and let him let him get in there. So it's just it's just very strange to me that they are are so insistent. Um, not even so much on giving Peterson the ball because I do I agree I think he has a place uh, on yeah. this team and I think he's useful in this offense. But to just keep going back to that well in those spots when it's not working. And when you have a quarterback like Stafford, I just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I think you need to see Swift a little bit more in those spots. I mean, I think you could use carry on Johnson a little bit more in those spots. He seems to have fallen completely out of the rotation other than as a, as a pass protector. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess it's a little bit nitpicky because they won the game, but it also was something that maybe could have cost them the game. Yeah, it is. And like, I just, again, they have, it's just curious because it's, you know, you draft these guys and you spend, you know, picks on some of them and you sign them and you keep them on your roster. And then, 
you know, you only want to use them in gadget scenarios. And, like, that's, like, the gadget stuff is of another time. Like, you're, <laughs> that stuff has to be incorporated into your offense now. You know, it's just yeah. like there's, I think that in the same vein that we talk about how, you know, it's so hard to play football in 2020 just relying solely on, a like, an amazing defense that never falters. At the same time, I would say that it's, it's it's really difficult to play football in 2020 when you're not taking full advantage of all of the things that like the game is designed to give you offensively. Like all of the advantages that you have now offensively, you have to make sure that you're taking advantage of all the space that you have to work with, the fact that they can't hit your quarterback, the fact that they can't touch your receivers <laughs> anymore. Like you yeah. have to be taking advantage of that and your run game has to become as much about numbers as anything else. Like if you're trying to run into loaded fronts, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Like, that's like, it's just a recipe for a disaster. Even if it's like, well, it was just one yard. And if we can't get that one yard, then we don't deserve to win. No, that's that's old. That's not how it works anymore. And it's just, uh, I don't know, because it's weird. Because we do see some things from Bevel at times, right? Like, the, that that's really good. And then it just, like, bounces back and forth. And I felt like it was more consistent last year for whatever reason. And it's been a little more, maybe it's him not being as confident in certain things that he has, and maybe he needs to take a little more of a leap of faith on some of this stuff. Um, but, you know, he's... I think he's proven to be a pretty smart play caller overall, but this year has been a little a little frustrating, and uh, I guess we'll see if it if it levels off. Yeah, and I think this goes back to the... Uh, I said we have Cynthia Freeland coming up, so I don't want to cut in too much time here, but I, I think that that uh, goes back to just the adjustments, too. Like, mm-hmm. they've made those... They've made some incremental adjustments to how they go about things on defense and now maybe that needs to happen yeah, on the other yeah, side of the point. ball too like it's yeah. just forget about some of this stuff yeah uh and i don't know i maybe it it just seems to be there's it's certainly not a lion's only thing like there just seems to be a, a real hesitation a lot of times for play callers for offenses to to really to, to really throw it open, and yeah, I don't you've know got to embrace it, it right? <laughs> you've got to go all or nothing in some of, and sometimes I think that the, I think we're getting there as a game. Like the game is getting there. I think that it's not there yet, but like if the Cardinals keep winning <laughs> or keep playing well, like you're gonna yeah. you're gonna have to do it. And like that's that's kind of how it works now. You have to fully embrace you know the spread to win stuff as much as everything else. And I know that you know running the ball is still a big deal, but there's there's more ways to do it than just you know the old way and. Uh, I, that's the frustrating part because I know Daryl Bevel knows that. I mean, he's been around football long enough. Yeah. He understands the game, and maybe it's just a matter of trusting it in the right spots. And maybe that's you know that's part of a growth process probably on his end as well. Yeah, and Swift's been good in those. Yeah, shorter. he has. I mean, he didn't have a very. He, everyone wanted to see him include. I wrote on Twitter they needed to play him more in the second half, and he ran for like two yards in the second <laughs> half. So, you know, I'm obviously not calling plays for a reason. But, uh, I mean, I do think that, that he seems like a guy you can trust in those spots. He's not mm-hmm. tap dancing around in the backfield. No, He's no. the guy that's going to get downhill when he sees the opportunity to get downhill, and he'll finish plays, and he'll get you an extra yard or two uh, as long as you can avoid him getting right. clobbered in the backfield. So I think he's someone – and that's why they give him red zone carries because yeah. he'll he'll do that. So he doesn't miss holes. I mean, he's he's yeah. making the right reads. So, so before we'll we see. stop, before we move on, the offensive line. I want to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. Dahl didn't. Joe Dahl didn't play in the game. But if he's back healthy, what do you do with Vitai, Crosby, Joe Dahl? Like that's, or I mean, would that be the return of the guard rotation? Or that was something I was mulling over, and I didn't really have an answer after the game. Was like because. Crosby's been mostly fine, right? Like, and is Vitai 
is Vitae healthy enough to play tackle? But do you want to get Dahl? I don't know. Like, uh, do you have any? I guess it would depend on Dahl's health, but you know, yeah. it's still something that's kind of hanging there moving forward. Yeah, I don't really know either. I mean, it's a, it's a good question because I just don't. Uh, I mean, to me, Vitae looks more like a guard. He does. I mean, he yeah. looks like a run block, like a really good run blocking guard. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe I mean I know that there's that it certainly helps to have that type of guy on the right tackle spot too. But I don't. He doesn't. I don't know that he's going to help you against speed rushers and stuff like that the way Crosby might. But Crosby hasn't been hasn't been so good that he's to the point of being that's irreplaceable. Yeah, I mean they they took advantage of him a couple times. The touchdown pass almost didn't happen at the end of yeah. the game because he got just bowled over by Dante yep. Fowler. Um, so I think that, you know, if you wanted to move Vitae back out there and just see what it looked like, uh, mm-hmm. you probably could. I don't see any benefit to the guard rotation, <laughs> frankly, no, no. Um, other than to just make sure you're getting a guy like Joe Dahl on the field. But um, I don't yeah, know. I mean, the design for it at the start of the year was Decker, Dahl, Ragnow, Jackson, Vitae. Right. And they haven't been able to do it. Yeah, not once. And I kind of wonder if they might want to try it just yeah. to see if it's better than what they've been doing. Yeah, I mean, with Vitae at full strength, I can buy that. Uh, if he's dinged up, though, like that's where uh, the question comes in because just right. the lateral movement maybe is the one thing where it's just not really consistent right now with him. Even though the power, you know, is is seems like it's there, even if he is dinged up. But you know, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I just have a hard time believing they're not going to play Joe Dahl ever. Yeah, Although me too. He didn't play, That's my, yeah, I mean, he didn't I play Sunday, but I have a hard time believing that they mm-hmm. totally bench him. So, yeah, we'll see uh, moving forward. Colts uh, at Ford Field this Sunday. We'll be back next week with uh, another episode of the show here. You can get one of these years on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google. Um, and as mentioned, we've got a guest here coming in for the second half of the show. I, I spent some time on uh, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, whatever time it was. With, it uh, is. <laughs> Cynthia, <laughs> Cynthia Freeland, uh, the NFL Network's analytics expert, uh, Michigan native. Uh, as we get into a little bit here, you can see her uh, Lions apparel in the background of her shots at, uh, at home. So she had some, some thoughts and a really interesting conversation, I think, just about the role of analytics in football right now and sort of how it pertains to the Lions and and what they might be moving forward. So here's that interview uh, with Cynthia. I mean, it's only seven episodes deep, but still a historic moment for us. Um, Cynthia Freeland, the first analytics expert in NFL Network history, uh, pride of Okemos High School, Detroit <laughs> Lions fan. I mean, I think we covered all the bases here, but uh, thanks so much for doing this, Cynthia. Lucky number seven. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, so you can uh, find, see Cynthia on uh, NFL Fantasy Live, NFL Game Day Morning. You can find her on Twitter at C Freeland, F-R-E-L-U-N-D. And the one that uh, is nearest and dearest to my heart, uh, on Instagram, the Thursday night food recipes. You know, I try to make them up, but... <laughs> <laughs> you have a favorite? I haven't I haven't followed along and cooked anything with you yet, but it, they all look pretty good. I try to like make everyone be a little healthier and make everyone be a little like I try to keep it inexpensive and pretty healthy. But I think my like my chicken recipe is the one that I would I would say that's the one to follow along with. That's like the the home run right there. It's the easiest. It tastes great. It's it like I said, super easy. Okay, I saw the uh, the. The Philly cheesesteak this past week looked pretty good too. So <laughs> my friends <laughs> Might... made fun of me because I used vegan cheese and then put it on meat. But it's because the dairy, you know, can be crazy for people's <laughs> stomachs. So <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, make sure you go. Uh, I'm sure you, most of you have probably seen Cynthia on NFL Network at some point over the past few years here. But if in case you haven't, uh, keep an eye out for her on those spots. Make sure you go follow her on Twitter. Um, as I mentioned, uh, from Okemos, uh, not, a, not afraid, not ashamed. I don't know what the word is to show the Lions fandom now that we're doing, you know, everyone's home and uh, gets to get their own little setups on, on screen and everything. I always see the Lions memorabilia. I think the framed Barry Sanders photo. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, do, you ever, do you ever get to get back home to the state of Michigan? So usually um, ahead of the season for training camps, NFL Network does training camp like live, right? So in, it's called inside training camp. So um, everyone, we get to put in some requests for where we want to go. And, you know, they try to match you up with wherever you, you request. And my one of my requests is always Detroit. And somehow I, I get it. Because, <laughs> you know, demand is not as, there's people from different places, right? I'm, I'm actually the, I think one of the Scott Hansen's from Michigan uh, originally, but he he doesn't usually do inside training camp. So you know we we try to try to get a, your hometown love in there. So I get lucky and I get to come to Allen Park. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, uh, Rich Eisen usually makes his way back for a Michigan game every once in a right. while too. So we get and That's right. Steve Mariucci. I mean, we got some Michigan uh, representation yeah, over there. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and I mean, as you know, everyone, people here, not just Lions fans, but in the state of Michigan, all the sports teams like that's one that sort of latches on for life. It seems like it followed, you know, people carry that fandom with them wherever they move, whatever their careers and lives bring them. It seems to stick with them. I mean, do you still get to watch them as a fan or is there too much going on on Sundays for you? No, I definitely. So we watch all of the games. The good, the good part is, is you know, my show's over at 10, which is one, right? And usually, you know, get a little bit of downtime before I have to start gearing up for kind of all the post-game reactions. So because the Lions are in that one o'clock window quite a, quite often, um, that is a, it, it becomes a good, like, decompress. But although sometimes it is quite stressful because it's not usually, it, it hasn't of late been one of those things where <laughs> I feel like, okay, it's going to be a nice W. So yeah. So, um, no, I, I, I definitely, once all the, once all the work is done, I can be a fan and enjoy and try to enjoy and get my heart broken. And then, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Do it yeah. all again. the next week. <laughs> Do you have a, uh, Detroit themed recipe for ready for if they ever, I mean, I guess they get the Thanksgiving game. It's been a while since they've been on Thursday night football though, I think. Yeah. So I'm not going to, I think I want to try to do something Greek, right? Like I love some, I love a good, like, see, I, I'm one of those people who thinks Chris Chelios is a Red Wing. I don't think he's a Blackhawk. So <laughs> Chelios Chili, I could do something like that. I like all the Greek recipes. I always talk about how I love at Ford Field, how you can get Euros. Like, that's something where sure. you, that's pretty yeah. unique. I don't know any other stadium where, at least football stadium, where you can, where that can happen. So, you know, I was thinking if there was ever the chance to do a Detroit-themed recipe that I would do something along those lines, something, something Greek. All right. Well, I, I don't want to, I'm going to get caught down this rabbit hole of food if we go on too much longer. <laughs> so, uh, for people who maybe aren't as familiar with your work, I, this is probably going to be tough to do, I guess, but can you give us a little podcast uh, size snippet of just what your process is for, yeah. you know, picking games, totally. picking season predictions, all those things that you do for the shows there? Yeah. So if you've ever saw the movie Moneyball, it's kind of like, that's kind of what you can imagine, right? So that was obviously a movie about baseball, but it's really trying to find a structure using data. So it's not biased. It's not, you know, I have a certain feeling about the lines. I always think they're going to lose, right? So <laughs> you want to de you want to decouple yourself from the bias. So 
you create a structure and you use a set of historical data reference points, and then you try to match the doppelganger to the situation you're seeing now. So, you know, not every, if you, if you think about it, not every offensive defense are created the same, right? The Steelers defense is completely different than the Chiefs defense. And both of them have great records, right? The, the Chiefs obviously have a loss and the Steelers don't. But, you know, if you look to see there's differences. So you look for historical doppelgangers. So things that are very similar. And those help you project going forward. So I went to Northwestern. I was really lucky to get into their data science program. At the time, it was called Predictive Analytics. And I got a chance to learn how to write some code. And when I learned how to write code, then I could process a lot of data. So it's things that are measured from like actual film. So like the distance someone is from someone else, the speed, the trajectory of the ball, et cetera, and all of that stuff. So it's completely unbiased. Then you can take all of that data and then you put it into mathematical models to see if something is truly causal or not. Then you talk to a coach and you say, why did you do this on this situation? Why did you put me in this situation right. of not being able to understand what you were doing? And then you, you factor that in. So it's kind of like what, um, like in finance, when they run models to see if you should invest in a stock or not, like is the stock price going up or is the stock price going down? That's kind of the same thing, just extended to sports. And in this case, football. Do you, um, do you get the sense? I mean, we've obviously seen this, uh, you know, analytics become a big part of the NFL game internally teams using it a lot more. The lions just added two um, analytics positions this off season. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you feel like viewers too are more receptive of the idea of sort of what it means for the game and, and how it impacts things that are going on on the field? Totally. I think part of the reason why viewers are receptive to it is because people want a way to either confirm or refute hot takes, right? Like hot takes became the rage, right? Tom Brady is good. Tom right. Brady is yep. bad. Blah, blah, blah. It's crazy stuff. And people didn't really have a structure other than, you know, they weren't going to go as a viewer. You, you don't have typically time to do like hours and hours and hours of research into it. So when you look to see like, what does the data really say? People were actually, there was like a lot of unmet demand for people wanting to know what the data actually says, because the hot take can go either way. And just because someone's yelling very loud doesn't necessarily make them right. <laughs> so it was kind of, it was kind of an interesting sort of counter culture to, you know, it was like to refute the, like, like I love Steve Naismith. I used to work with him at ESPN and I think he does a really wonderful job of creating a frenzy around anything. He, and he, he's a very smart man that makes this, but the, but if you want to refute him, it's very hard because you don't have a whole research team behind you. to be <laughs> sure. able to So, so this really helps. Yeah. I mean, it's, have you, Felt that change. I mean, even in the few years you've been at NFL Network, it seems like it's really taken off, even for the teams. Like I mentioned, the Lions leaning into it under yeah. Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. I mean, it seems like it's really taken off even in these last two, three NFL seasons. All 32 teams have analytics in some form or fashion. They may not call it that. Some places it's called strategy. Some places it's called like it's buried in quality control. Some place, they have different ways of referencing it, but they're doing the same thing. And I'll tell you, the teams that do a better job of it tend to have more wins. Like, there's a reason that the Ravens have ridiculous amount of draft hits because it's not really about what do the analytics say. It's what do our analytics say, right? Like, to create the right offense for Lamar Jackson's specific set of, set of, ugh, set of skills, easy for me to say, um, is different than for Matthew Stafford's, right? Like, they're just completely sure. different types of quarterbacks. So you wouldn't need as many heavy sets with with. Matthew Stafford, right? And you don't need to create the opportunity to run on the edge. In fact, we don't want Matthew Stafford to run on the edge. <laughs> He's way better when he can talk. He just laser, laser accurate in all the different route routes from the pocket. So let's give him some protection, right? It's, 
It's what are you good at and how do we take those strengths and create the right system around you to really bring out all of the rest of the strengths as opposed to kind of just say, okay, so like this linebacker, somebody else said is really good. So we're going to go ahead and take him as opposed to the left tackle, even though we need a left, you know, like some people do it kind of, they have different ways of doing it. Right. But the teams that have the best strategy where everyone communicates really well and the coach can say what they're trying to do and the GM can enact that and they can work together to make the right pricing and not overspend on any one position. Then those are the teams that tend to have more wins. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the draft because I think that's a big area that a lot of teams use it. Certainly here in Detroit, that's a spot. And even down the list, I mean, as we get closer to the trade deadline, that's something that, you know, you'll dig into what players are worth and what you're willing to pay for them. I think the Lions even go so far as like the practice squad, who to protect on their practice squad each week and and what other teams might be looking for there. So it it does really trickle down through all aspects Mm -hmm. of the organization. Yeah, the interesting part is that, like I said, the team – like the teams who are really good at free agency, they do a better job of preparing ahead of free agency with their draft board, right? So because those two things are so intertwined, especially this season, you could see it with let's with wide receivers, let's say, right? The Lions didn't really have a need at that position. And wide receiver was such a heavily, like there, there was a really deep wide receiver class in this draft class. And luckily for the Lions, they didn't need to participate in the wide receiver free agency situation that some people that so some teams were like, we're not going to get the one we want. We need to go out there and overspend or potentially, you know, have a differential spend. That's not always great. Right. So matching the amount of money that with the, with the position. And by the way, the most people like to say, like, like people talk about analytics, they talk about like sexy things, like going for it on fourth down, (laughs) when to go for two, but the really sexiest, the most part of analytics that the most sexiest in terms of creating wins is the fact that you need a lot of players on your team that are just a little bit above average that you don't need to pay. We all know Patrick Mahomes is really good now, right? Like we all know that now, but the system, the fit, the other pieces, they all have to match. Now let's say, you know, Buda Baker is a really good example. Buda Baker is a safety. You saw him in the, in the Seattle game quite a bit. He picks off Russell Wilson in the red zone. It was about to be a touchdown. He was on the one yard line, almost made it for the touchdown, but got run down from behind, but he came back half, which was pretty amazing. Ridiculous. Yeah. But like Buda Baker, for example, how much do you pay him? Now that's a, that's an interesting problem. You need to pay him pretty well because he doesn't just do a safety position. He plays the linebacker. He plays nickel corner. He plays a lot of different things. So, his pay as a safety, you need, you need to amortize over the different positions that he plays because you need to account for, for things like that. So those are things where it's like, that is really hard to figure out. And the people who are better at figuring that stuff out, they have more wins. Well, I, I asked about the process uh, for getting into picking games. I should mention you had the Lions beating the Falcons by one this week. You didn't get the score exactly right, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how many <laughs> were docking you for that, but you had them winning that game by one. Uh, Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. You know what I mean? Like, if Todd Gurley hadn't, Todd Gurley, who is a, an amazing athlete, if he couldn't control his body just a little six inches less, and I would have been dead wrong. But, you know, I'll take the W's where I can get them, even if this one was probably more luck than more correct. Hey, yeah. Well, I mean, as I, as I wrote on our day after observation, observations on the uh, athletic site, it's like that old baseball, you know, it all looks the same in the scorebook. It's a win, a one point win. You call the one point win. So I think <laughs> just play that up as much as possible. 
I was worried that that Prater missed kick was going to come back to, to bite me. That was what I was more worried. I was like, no, you yeah. never missed this. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Well, I but actually, yeah. you, you know, I, I, I mentioned on Twitter the last extra point, I think just in the moment, I don't really know that I appreciated how, how big a kick that was from 48 yards. Everyone's expecting you to just make it in the game. Everyone's even celebrating like the game's over uh, to step up there and hit that, I think was pretty big. But I, I was sort of on the other end of the spectrum where I was like, this kind of deserves to end in a tie. <laughs> These two teams, the way this game is gone, he's going to miss it. This is going to be 22-22 and we're not going to know what to do with any of it. So that's such, thank- a, that's such a lion's answer. Like that, but that's the thing, right? <laughs> like that's how you know that it's not biased because it's funny. It's funny because you know, I, you have to do everything blind because the more you work in any industry, the more you know people, the more you have feeling about, like there are teams that I like or, or don't like just for whatever reason, right? Like, you know, I, I, I absolutely, there's a guy who works for the Saints who's going to be the next GM. His name is Terry Fortnott. He's probably going to be, he's, he's on the up and up. You got you to gotta keep your eye on him. He's like, he's a wonderful like family man, like just really has been like, he's a great girl dad, like a great example of like who I think everyone should look at. So it's hard for me not to pick the saints because of him in many ways. So I can't bias myself. I have to, you know, they're all named things with like certain number, number and letter combinations that I have no feeling towards. Right. It's just a, it's like an alphanumeric kind of like when people generate a, a, a password for you, you know, when, when you have a <laughs> right. password so that it's not biased at all. So that's how, you know, with the, with the lions that and we have a show game day view that my, the people who are on it with me, they make fun of me all the time when I have to pick the lions because I'm almost, <laughs> I, I prefer the hedge of not picking them and then just sure. being happy when, you know, cause then either way I, I get some sort of win. <laughs> we'll have to, uh, we'll file that rising GM name aside just in case it. we need it here in Detroit in a he's few great. months. Yeah. Uh, he's a great one. Mm-hmm. So just, yeah, I, I guess on that topic, I know, you know, just sort of looking back, reading some stuff, you were a fan of the Matt Patricia hire. I don't know if that Man. was the, maybe the math and science background playing into the factor there, but it obviously hasn't gone great to this point um, uh, on the upswing, maybe over the past couple of weeks, but uh, what did, your models expect for this team at the start of the season and has anything changed now that they have won two in a row or that they are six games into the year? My model did not expect the Vikings to be so bad. Um, right, I thought the did? Vikings, Man. <laughs> I know that was a real surprise. Um, and consequently the bears also have outperformed. So the, the Vikings underperformed and the bears have overperformed based on, you know, kind of what my estimation. Were. Now I will say that, I did have more wins for, I had the Lions at actually in fourth in the division. So um, I was, I was not surprised to see, because I, I do believe this season, you know, your defense is going to matter even more, especially come now that we've had, because no preseason, I think like having a good defense and we're, we're kind of seeing that play out like the Steelers, their offense isn't, you know, the, their offense is great, but it's not the the strength of their team. Their defense is, is the strength of their team, right? So teams with suspect defenses were a little scary for me, and that's why the Lions were got a little dinged in in my book. But the, look, I don't – I still think Matt Patricia is a great mind. It, that doesn't necessarily make you a great leader, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the fr- – even though they came from the same Patriot system, doesn't mean the, the front office is in alignment with – the coaching situation, like it's all these things have to work together and you have to be a great organized leader in many different ways. And, and it's hard. It's obviously a hard job. You know, there's a reason that there's not 
more than a handful of good coaches who last more than a handful of years, right? So it's it's an interesting, I still think as far as his mind goes, like that is the amount of things that you can learn from Matt Patricia. If you He's so generous with sitting down and watching film. If you just ask him, yeah. ask him to show you anything about false leverage and he'll like, he gets into it and he's so excited. <laughs> right. like, oh yeah. Oh, I'll take it. Then like you can see the fire and that he cares. But again, that, that doesn't mean he is great with managing cap stuff with Bob Quint. Like these are all problems. And Matthew Stafford's contract is really hefty and he's worth it in my opinion, but you got to, reinforce the things that matter. And I think they did a much better job in this year's draft. I think DeAndre Swift is a really great example of great value in the second round. I think Jeff Okudis had some a nice start. It'd be really helpful if some of the other pieces, like, you know, some pressure up front would pay off. But, <laughs> you know, those are, you know, those are positive signs going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. People always ask here, you know, what just sort of to try and figure out what's happening with Matt Patricia. And that's kind of one of the things you keep going back to is that it, it wasn't just a, you know, a fly by night hire. This was one of the smartest minds in the game. Everyone respected him. Everyone thought this, he was going to be a great head coach. And maybe, you know, as I said, maybe they're on the upswing. Maybe they've turned the corner. This is starting to click in. Maybe. And no one can see your face because we're on the podcast. So I, mean, I don't think they're going to be super excited about uh, that reaction but I, I, how much I, I mean that's the other thing people want to know right now it's been two games the defense has looked a little better the run defense has seemed to figure some things out what's what might shift as you're looking ahead for the rest of the season with the Lions and even ahead to this game against the Colts next week what might shift things for you as you're looking at this team to a more positive spot I, this is going to sound crazy but I think they should I think they should make a move or two at the trade deadline. I don't think they should mail it in this season with what they've got. The problem I think is risk aversion. I think mm-hmm. that but they've signed too many former Patriots that they feel they know as opposed to taking, I want to say a, a risk or trying to figure out other players that might be better suited for this, what they're trying to do. You have Aaron Rodgers in your division. You're going to need to have a pass defense. You're going to need to bring some pressure. You have, I mean, Nick Foles in your division. That's how you beat him, right? Like you pressure Nick Foles and he's not Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles, right? He's, he's average guy, Nick Foles. And that defense, the Bears defense, really good. The, the Packers defense has some holes. I mean, you can run against them, but they also have Jair Alexander is playing lights out. So you've got to gotta create mismatches and look to your division first because that's where the bulk of your games are, right? So, you know, Mike Zimmer's defense will get better because Mike, Mike Zimmer will figure out – I mean, they had some weird things happen, right? Like, you know, they got rid of everyone. They drafted the most people since we've had a seven-round draft, and then COVID happened. And you got all these young players and, like, who sure. knows what's going to happen after that, right? But the problem is we have – it seems like the Lions, we're seeing them have maybe too many players that are a little bit too veteran that are not playing up to that average or above average status. And But the problem is, is it's like the devil you know versus the devil you don't, right? Like they're a bit too risk averse to try to say, okay, maybe we don't take someone who is in a New England system and they say, okay, maybe the learning, their thought process is likely the learning curve would be faster, right? But maybe we take someone who has the attributes that we want and then we teach them a little more because Matt Patricia is an amazing teacher. Like that's, that's where, what, I'll, what I'll give him. But it's the signing and it's, you know, the familiarity with an agent and the familiar, like it, it's too familiar. I think they need to, they need to get out there and, and take, some, take some risks. Otherwise, you're just going to be middling forever. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. You might, you might've brought the fans back with that. Cause I think people are hoping that they, you know, sitting at three and three, especially if they win this week against the Colts, mm-hmm. it kind of gets to that point where you maybe can make a run at this. And they've, as you said, I think there are some pretty clear spots where you drop another playmaker in there and uh, you got a chance to kind of make her to get hot and see where, the, where this takes you over the next few months. But uh, and it does need to be on offense. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to give me like a nice, like a nice, like lineman, that'd be all right. But yeah. <laughs> give me some people who rush the quarterback, right? Put some, put some people like, I don't care. I, I don't want to like say which position, right? Who cares, right? I prefer interior pressure just because it seems to be a little faster and those quick passes, that's the only way you can stop them. And there are no, there are, it's not like there's Aaron Donald just sitting around everywhere, but maybe like reinforce some of that front because, or even maybe get a nice outside linebacker. Just give me something, right? Like give me some pressure anywhere. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, as you said, the offense seems like it's in pretty good hands for the most part and really well built. Wasting uh, Matthew Stafford's career. <laughs> well, let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's touch on that for a minute before we go. Because, um, like I said, I do think they have a lot of pieces in place here. Even moving forward, if they get Ken Galladay resigned, which is another maybe that probably falls under uh, some of the the player evaluation system that you, we were talking about earlier. How much are they willing to pay him, and how much is he worth on the market? I don't know that they've come to that agreement yet. But Galladay, you've got some people on the offensive line that that are they're going to be there for the duration. Uh, DeAndre Swift certainly looks impressive. T.J. Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. Where's Matthew Stafford fall in your book? I mean, is he Stafford, an elite quarterback great. in this league? Yes. He's, he's, I would say, and I'm, and I'm not being a fan here, I would say he's probably the most of the guys who are at least, at least 16th or better and consistently year over year, he's the most underappreciated. He can't get the playoff win. I understand. I've, you know, I, I, I understand. I, I'm very familiar with the stats and the record. But the, the problem is, is there's no – like Matthew Stafford's a better Ben Roethlisberger. That's the, that's the model. And we've seen Ben Roethlisberger adapt his style this year, this year, last, that last game that Roethlisberger played against the Tennessee Titans, like 77% of his passes were quick passes. So passes that took under 2.5 seconds. Can you imagine if Matthew, (laughs) if if they could create a short game for Matthew Stafford like that? Like let's go. Right. Cause the, the situation Ben, and then he can take those strategic deep passes because Ben Roethlisberger's, He's had a bunch of injuries. That neck injury is like very serious, right? So they're creating a strategy and they have the players to do it where they're figuring out how to earn first downs, right? They kept adapting. They pulled out to that early lead, but then Tennessee's defense picked it up and they adapted. And that's what Matthew Stafford has in spades. He has the ability to make intermediate deep. You, any, any, any single route, okay, fine. He's got it. But you got to create sure. the system to get people open. Because they're, you can't throw into triple coverage. And, you know, like, I do like a scrappy Danny Amendola. Like, that's fine. But, like, let's not r- keep running that back. Let's go with something that makes a bit more sense. You've got Kenny Galladay. You've got Marvin Jones Jr. Like, these guys are, they're, you know, they're forwards. They're power forwards. I don't, and I don't mean to call them possession receivers. I'm saying their bodies, they can go up and get it, right? Like, they don't need to, you don't need to play in the, in the inside stuff laid over the middle. You don't need to do that. Like crossing routes. No, no, we're good. Go with a go. We got it. Like go deep. Let's see what in make Kenny Galladay fight for because that's what he can do. Same with Marvin Jones. Yeah. And we saw some of that someday. I mean, Kenny Galladay, I I don't, I was looking at the receiver separation numbers for this week and I, it's kind of, I'm kind of blanking on Kenny Galladay, but it could not have been that high. (laughs) There were people all over him on every catch he made in that game. And that, that usually is how it works with those receivers. I mean, those are two guys who, 
tend to land at the bottom of the list for separation and uh, and still are well, making they're giving them terrible situations i mean and they come down <laughs> with it right like it's not it's not a great situation like and that the falcons don't have a good defense right. either to the lions i'm not like you know i'm i'm not being biased here i'm just saying like there's no way you should be have triple coverage on you know, Kenny Gallagher, they should scheme ways to get them open as well. That's a big part of it too, right? Like use the weapons you have. You have a, as far as receiving cores go, I'm, I'm, sure. you know, and they didn't even need to do anything. They did a great job. The draft, they've done really great things. TJ Hawkinson was an awesome draft pick. And so was Kenny Galladay. And so was DeAndre Swift. You don't, it doesn't have to be first rounders. It's the, you know, everyone together in those situations. Yeah. I think that's what everyone's kind of been waiting to see is them just sort of turn it loose on that offense especially you know DeAndre Swift is <laughs> that's sort of the bugaboo for everyone is that he's not getting more snaps not getting more touches right now because he does open up so much but they have other I mean you mentioned Hawkinson Jamal Agnew Marvin Hall they've got some of these you know guys who are different from what they have in Galladay very different from what they have in Galladay and Jones and and they haven't really been able to figure out how to open up that offense just quite yet but I that also is probably why there's still some hope uh, among this, you know, fam- there's always hope among the fan base for, to a certain hope. extent. My but, favorite fan base. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but uh, I think that's the big, uh, you know, just if the defense plays like it did the last couple of weeks, it's just okay. Kind of hangs in there, makes a couple of big plays, and you find a way to really unlock the total potential of this offense. Maybe this mm-hmm. thing takes off because we've seen Matthew Stafford when he gets when he has those advantages. Is, is it's so not, it is not Stafford that I'm worried. Let, let me be clear. It's yeah, not Stafford. Yeah, of course. Like, if, if, you were to, if you were to put Stafford on a team, a different team, and look, I would never recommend doing this because obviously I want my team to be good, but think about it, right? Like if you were to find who's, a, who's a, just a slightly above average situation and you find a, a play caller that, you know, I, I think there's just some, there's some, um, what's the right I'm looking for? inconsistencies it has to be complementary with football right like it's if you have a guy like Stafford who can get you those quick strikes then you need a defense that can stop quick strikes right like the that's kind of like Patrick Mahomes look at look at look at the 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 Chiefs for example right like they can do Patrick Mahomes can score in T minus zero seconds right and very quick and just keep passing and keep going right and their defense gives up a bunch of rush yards Okay, so what? But they're bet way better against the pass. And they bring Chris Jones just crushes other quarterbacks. So you have to have those complementary pieces so that you're not ask you can't keep asking. We saw it with Russell Wilson. You can't keep asking, you know, you you, you can't they can't keep making every play and every play and every play. They have to figure it out in a nice measured way. Right. Yeah. And that's uh it's that's maybe the frustrating thing about this offense too, not to keep mm-hmm. you here too long, but really? it's uh it seems like the goal with this team for a lot of Matt Patricia's era has been to just control the tempo, run the ball, sort of have that established and just dictate the game on their terms. But really, we saw it again against Atlanta, just really slow things down and try to manage the game as much as possible. And like you said, they, this offense isn't really built for that. And certainly the quarterback's not built for that. I mean, you could go out there and throw 40, 50 times a game with Matthew Stafford. And I don't know that anyone would really complain that much about the game plan. Because he probably yeah, put up no. 350, 400 yards. 
right? The, the one thing I'll leave you with. So we've been doing some research on pre-snap motion, right? Like, because mostly because the teams that are looking really good this season are really, it's, it was noticeable. And then, so what we went through in the analytics group at the NFL network, we, we were like, okay, what can we be, what can we look at research wise? And one of the things that we isolated was it seemed like the teams that were using a lot of pre-snap motion, the, the Packers come to mind for this one, right? Like sure. they yeah. were doing better. Right. And so we, we created like some, we, we wanted to see like, or, well, how can we create like a, like some circumstances? Like, do they get more yards per passing attempt? Do they earn more first downs? Turns out they earn something like 29% more first downs in a game. And that's a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe a little pre-snap motion, maybe a little tempo. Daryl Bevel, are you listening? Because we got a little idea for you. Let's <laughs> yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely has not been something they've incorporated. And it's worked when <laughs> they've used it, which is why it's been interesting. We haven't seen more of it. Um, well, Cynthia, thanks so much for doing this. I, got, I want, mentioned before we started that I wanted to give a shout out to Kelsey Reynolds, who yes. uh, follows... I think both of us on Twitter definitely follows me on Twitter. Hello, thank you for the recommendation. Recommended that uh, we get you on the show. So uh, definitely thanks for that because uh, I think it's been fun and uh, hopefully we can do it again, maybe uh, before a playoff game. You got it. Oh, shoot. That might be like a couple years from now, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) the answer is yes. You went and ruined it again. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, So again, you can find Cynthia on Twitter. across the NFL network and get her on Twitter at C Freeland. Uh, make sure you go over to Instagram, get those Thursday night recipes. I don't want to yes. go back into those again, but uh, you know, go cook, go cook with her before <laughs> Thursday night games. What's this week? What's the game this week? We got Atlanta at Carolina. So I'm thinking oh, some barbecue. Right. There you go. Yeah. That's a good region to be yeah. <laughs> coming up with the recipes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, and thanks so much for doing this. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do it again soon. You got it. Thanks for having me. 